employees from the council involved at all in the Bristolian. But however, people who work for the council, people who still do work for the council, were eager to see us and draw attention to certain things that they were frightened to talk about. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. Love them or hate them, you cannot ignore the satirical scandal sheet, The Bristolian. In this episode of Bristol Unpacked, it's exclusive. Very rarely do they do any media interviews at all. And this one is going to be, in tradition of The Bristolian, anonymous. Originally launched in 2001, they gained a reputation for well-sourced investigations uncovering corruption in City Hall with councillors, cops, businessmen, managers and, in their own words, rich do-gooders. In 2005, they were runner-up in the Paul Foote Awards for Investigative Journalism and, in fact, in 2003, they put up a dozen candidates in local elections. Fast forward to today, their newspaper is out. Uh, They've been affected a bit by covid And the real question is, are they relevant in today's media landscape? Are they funny? Do they serve the city well by uncovering this stuff? Or are they just old men moaning in their pants? Enjoy. Just a quick warning to say this episode does contain some strong language, most of which are quotes. Just letting you know. Right, this is the first time I'm going to say hello to somebody without saying their name. Hello, person from the Bristolian. Hello, Neil Marks. <laughs> so let's just explain that. So you guys will want to keep your anonymity. The main reason I wish to remain anonymous is that the interview will be about the Bristolian and will not focus on me and my opinions. So I yeah. speak on behalf of several people. So I'm not going for an ego trip on this. Fair enough. And how many of you are there? I don't know, really, because it, it varies from time to time. There's no formal structure. There's no, you don't have to pay any subscriptions or go through any ceremonies or anything like that. So it's hard to say. It varies. It's a bit like the Grateful Dead, where it's sort of like the band, the band members all sort of change and there's only sort of one left from the original kind of uh, troupe. It's, yeah, it's similar like that, without the LSD. <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Are you sure yes, about that? For the purposes of this broadcast, yes. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk. So the Bristolian, it is a it is a Bristol institution. The strap line is Smiter of the High and Mighty. It's been around since 2001. Lots of people that I know, uh, and certainly as a, I'm an ex-council employee from way back, we would sit and wait for, before the, all this online digital internet stuff for the paper to come out and we'd be waiting thinking who are they going to go for this time who are they going to go so 2001 that's almost 21 years uh it's been in existence that's one of the probably the oldest media outlets in the city other than the bristol post now isn't it it is uh been going since 2001 however we take our origins back to the bristolian of 1837 which inspired the modern bristolian which was uh, a periodical by James Ackland, who was another rebellious type of chap. 
what would you say was a fanzine when it first launched? What would be the right way of terming it? A fanzine, I think more or less a broadsheet is a good expression. A, broad, a broadsheet. When yeah. it started, it was only one page. Printed on uh, two sides. And uh, Ian Bone used to distribute it at the top of Corn Street. For people that don't know Ian Bone, Ian Bone created the class war movement. He's, he's no longer in Bristol, is he? He's, he's in London, I think. He's back in London now, but yeah. it wasn't his idea. But he was the one who propelled it. Yeah, and then you've had a few periods where it's not been around for a bit and then it's kind of come back and it's quite good time in this because you're back now to put in the paper out again, aren't you? Yes, we've had one edition out and uh, we're uh, getting another one out pretty soon as well. Like, so we're back on our feet. We've had a lot of problems with COVID, etc. obviously. Yeah. And um, it's a good time now to be really bringing these problems to the fore. I'm going to read out a bit of the spiel from, from the website. So cooking a snook at our supposed betters, councillors, cops, businessmen, managers and rich do-gooders and soon racked up a circulation of more than 10,000 through pubs, cafes and on the streets. And in 2005, you were nominated runner-up actually in the Paul Foot Awards for Investigative Journalism. And actually, this is what I'm sort of a bit interested in as well, is that in 2003, you actually put up some candidates for the Bristolian Party Yes, that is true. And what happened there was, I mean, it's very easy to criticise Bristol City Council, which unfortunately that a lot of our content is centred around them. And um, I suggested that we could stand against the council and make a more positive and impressive impact on people Mm -hmm. about what the situation was. So we did field a candidate in, I think, nearly every constituency. Obviously, we were completely undermanned and we didn't really get anywhere. You got eight percent of the eight percent of the share in the wards you contest. That's not that bad. It's not that bad for a first attempt. Can I ask how long you've been involved? Well, I was involved when uh, Ian started it. Really, just started. Oh, so you've been there from pretty much from the word go. It's an interesting thing because obviously, for some people, it's a great sort of satirical outlet that digs at the high might, as you say. For others, I imagine it's a bit of a threat if you are a part of that establishment. People are maybe sort of concerned about what's coming next, but it's also quite funny. Um, and I think that gets forgotten. I'll get on to the more sort of serious investigative journalism stuff. But but in terms of the humour, I'm going to read out some headlines now and excuse language, but I've been laughing at some of these last night and this morning. Harvey creams off Bristol. Fergie's finger in ladies' funnels. Rever- <laughs> Reverend's semi-naked prayer circle in Frisbee frolic shocker. And, and this one, fuck off back to Yale. Um, <laughs> who are you talking about when you're saying that? Um, I can't imagine. <laughs> That's quite evocative, isn't it? How much of that is tongue-in-cheek and how much of that is serious? I think what it's do? in the classical sort of style of satirical journalism, really, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. You think we've adapted it more to the present age because you can get away with saying a lot more than you used to be able to. But I don't think it's anything controversial. I don't think it's anything new. And if it makes people laugh, that's good. And the nicknames as well, uh, they're the things that will sort of tickle me a little bit. And it's quite—it's kind of a bit of a thing that sort of obviously Trump does now, didn't he, with sort of Sleepy Joe and all that kind of stuff. It seems to be quite a good way of, um, I guess, sort of pricking egos a bit. Uh, obviously, the Reverend Reese is one that's used a lot. Uh, for Sandy Hall Rhythm, Bufton Tufton, who stood to, for the Green Party. Mark Smallbrain. <laughs> uh, George Pig Ferguson. Uh, one of my favourite ones, Gary Meathead Hopkins. You've done a lot of stuff with <laughs> Gary, Me- uh, Gary Hopkins, the Lib Dem councillor. And this one, which is pretty hardcore, uh, it was this Bristol City Council's property services person, Robert Spunkface Orrit. 
Um, who thinks of these names? And, and it must be quite good fun when you're trying to design them. Um, it's not me. Um, I, don't, I haven't really come up with many of these names, but uh, oh, it's usually the person who writes the article just sticks it in and it just catches on. I mean, that's been Gary Hopkins' nickname for a good nigh on over a decade or so, isn't it now, really? Well, yeah. He is a meathead, isn't he? I mean, this is the problem. It's not even satirical. It's sad. How do you think that's received in the council chamber? Do you think that on the quiet, perhaps people do laugh about it a bit? You know, there's all these stories of spitting image and stuff, isn't there, when actually it's a sort of backhanded compliment? I can only conjecture. Like, you know, I know when we come up with Oily Alpen, he, he liked it. Did he? Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of the readers don't really like the, the nicknames much, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, I think some people sort of don't really get it, you know, because it's a bit near the knuckle, some of them. Why not say which one in particular you just mentioned, but um, I don't know how the yeah. councillors will take it. I think they'd probably be more concerned about the issues we're raising. Some of them are more meaner than others. Yes. Uh, um, but it isn't just, it isn't just obviously, politicians you go for, uh, including my game, the media. The term, the Nazi post, was kind of christened a little bit by the Bristolian, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a term that was used, the Nazi post. Not strictly accurate, but it's enough to like, get them at it, I hope. And that kind of, that did stick a little bit, I think, in in the city. And, and I know you know a couple of journalists there now still regale against that and try and sort of try and try and uh, uh, present a, a completely different kind of side to the paper. Do you think that's changed? I, I guess when you my question is when you came around in two thousand and one, other than like the BBC and what was then the, the the Bristol Evening Post, there wasn't really much other media, was there? Um, no, there, there wasn't a lot of media at bank, but I mean, the media that's come later, obviously a lot more sophisticated than what we are. We just haven't moved forward. We're not uh, financially propelled, so we just mm. carry on doing what we're doing. I think the Bristol Post has, has got a complete identity crisis now where they don't know what they're at. And would it be it would have been seen as being quite right-wing back then, wouldn't it? Um, I think I consider every uh, newspaper in this nation to be right-wing. It's just how right-wing they are. Everyone. Every newspaper, yeah. I think if you've got a, a multi-million pound corporation funding up a newspaper, I'm sure it's got must have a slightly different bias to what we've got. But politically, politically, if you think about, um, you know, the, the Bristol Post, they're, they're seen in the city, perhaps they have writers that are slightly different than maybe they were back then that are engaged with... Uh, you know, left politics or campaigning or minority groups, which maybe traditionally they wouldn't have been seen as that, hence why the nickname that you created. Um, yeah, you, you can see that uh, left-wing influences are covered in, because. but I'd like to stress, I can't stress enough, that the, mm. the issues that we've been raising for the last 20 years, yeah, um, it's not just us, people like Cameron Colston, and they're all coming to the surface now. And now you've got like mainstream politicians like, Karen Smith, she was on your program the other day. Mm. Now she's she's talking about uh, the merchant venture. So the tide is turning, and in our own little way, I like to think that we are helping. That we should continue to help this unwarranted interference in our democracy. So you were you were kind of ahead of the curve on that, and and that's sort of coming home to roost a bit now. Are you cynical about um, the pivoting of politicians, institutions in the city? to get behind things like, you know, taking a position against the Merchant Ventures or, or the Colson statue, or, or do you welcome it? I welcome any help we can get to try and reinstitute democracy in this town. 
And we could say, oh, well, they're jumping on a bandwagon. But every politician needs votes and needs to be popular. But at least they must realise that these issues are important. So they're dealing with these issues. So it's a victory all round, I think. I'm glad that we helped to bring these issues to the fore. I hope we can maintain the momentum. There's a lot more to come. There is nobody that's safe from scrutiny or nobody that's safe from harm. You will equally point your guns in any political direction. That's right, yeah. All we're worried about is justice, really. Have you been accused of being sort of politically biased in, in any way by politicians? And will you then refer and say, well, hang on a minute, kind of, you know, we've also had a go at this person, that person, that party, this party. Yeah, I think if we can find something that's uh, damaging to somebody because they've been misbehaving themselves, we bring it to the light. We don't do what other people do, try and um, bring other people's failings to light and brush the others under the carpet. As we're neutral, we can properly pose these questions and um, hopefully we get a response. So it is more than satire then? Well, it is satire. I mean, satire is political comment anyway, isn't it? It's just a form of presentation. So there is this kind of a a methodology behind it of of trying to shift and change? um, What we're trying to do, See, when we started, we had a problem. We were eager to point out discrepancies and malpractices in Bristol City Council. Now, with the mayoral system, it's even worse because for some reason there's one man who's got so much power, it's absolutely insane. So we've gone backwards. So am I right in saying there were some people that were involved in the original Bristolian were disgruntled council employees? There is no one employees from the council involved at all in the Bristolian. But however... People who work for the council, people who still do work for the council, were eager to see us and draw attention to certain things that they were afraid to talk about. And they felt they couldn't go to, I'm doing quote marks, like the mainstream media at that time. Well, I think because we're approachable, because we're just, they could come in a, a public house or a cafe and meet us or meet us on the street or in work and yeah. just have a little chat about us. And we could say, well, what else about it? And we could delve in and then... We can ask him if he could print something or if we can't print something. It's like, it's very informal. It's not like going to a newspaper. Yeah. And how, and how do you fact check stuff? Obviously, we've you're got not... People, we've got people fact checking stuff. We got Before we stick anything out, we've got legal people looking at it. You have. I was going to ask you that. You have legal people that we, look of over course, your... Yeah. Of course, if you see our articles. I mean, the, the last issue that went out, we worked on changing a lot of things because we don't want to put anything in there that was factually incorrect. Because it's yeah. not helpful to the reader. Because no. there's too much mythology going through the media now and it's getting to a stereo point. Anyone attempted to sue you or anyone kind of well, had major complaints? We've been threatened with being sued countless times, you know, but they don't do anything. Yeah? Well, it's, it's, it's usually just threats. It's just threats and they're going to get their legal department onto us, which they haven't gotten. We're meant to be, it's probably some minion within their organisation. Yeah, his job's under threat. He, he's meant to be some sort of press officer or something, and he's got to try and say something. He doesn't know what he's all about, yeah. and he just tries to have a go, and it doesn't work. So that doesn't bother us. Anyone can say anything they want. It's a free society. Most of the people that write for the Stadium are anonymous. Would that shroud you from any legal action potentially? I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. I'm not a legal expert, really. Do you see the the Bristolian as almost being like Bristol's private eye a little bit? It, it takes a lot from private eye, but I don't like being saying that we're Bristol's private eye. They're, some of the journalism does tend to a private eye style. The similar kind of sort of satirical. Similar kind sort of, of thing. You know, yeah. I'm not particularly 
fan of the private eye style. But they are, but they are also public, aren't they? People like Richard Ingram, you know, Ian Heslop has just spoken in the select committee recently, didn't he? These are quite, these are quite well-known public figures who put their face to what they do. Yes. Why doesn't the Bristolian put its face to what it does? Um, well, the face of the Bristolian is the Bristolian magazine. We're not. Yeah, but obviously the private, private eye would say the same as the private eye, but yeah, they but are public figures. Why, why don't you become? Why won't you become public figures? Because we're not trying to make a career out of it. We're not Ian Hislop. Like. We're not uh, professional talkers. We, we are people. You know, we all got full time jobs, and we yeah. just do this in our spare time. And, it, and we don't want it to be about egos. So it's not that you're hiding behind a, a kind of curtains that makes it easier to throw sort of shit at people. Well, not really. No, I mean, I think it's uh, it's to, to sort of. Retaining that anonymity um, gives us a chance. It is to say things that we shouldn't be uh, normally saying, but also it adds an air of mystique. Lots of journalists they use their name to keep anonymity, and that's fine. But to have no byline whatsoever, you said that's just that's just because you don't want. It's not it's an just, ego thing. It's the Bristolian, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. we don't want to discourage people to have to start naming themselves because we're most we're dealing with a lot of cases here of people who are being victimised anyway, and we don't want to draw attention to them. But you can curate that for someone. I mean, I've written lots of stuff for people that have maybe, yeah, they don't want their, they want to keep their anonymity, the story or something. You can curate that for them yeah, we can as, that. As, a, as a writer. I just think, do you not, I mean, would it be fair to say it, it does make it easier to be critical if you don't have to have your name or face attached to Yes, it does. But something? as you mentioned earlier, we did start for council. So, I mean, all our, Pictures were in the evening post. A lot of people that come to the city as a student or come to work, they don't ever visit some of the you know estates to the north and to the south of the city. Do you, do you think you have a good reach in those areas, the Bristolian? Yeah, very good. We've never had any negative feedback at all in any council state in this town. Fact, so is it well read, I meant? Is it well read in... It's in... not very well distributed because there aren't many places to distribute to. Mm. Yeah. Because if you look at South Bristol, they've decimated all our pubs. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a wasteland. Isn't it? you, we give it out, but it's hard to find places to give it, you know? I bet if I walked into the Pegasus and Safemead, far less people would know about the Bristolian than they do know the, about the, the, the plough. Yeah? They, they do know about the Pegasus. Well, we delivered out the Pegasus. Yeah. I used to deliver out the Fall Third, like, you know, but it's shut Okay. But they, it yeah. was well received. It must be because I used to go in there. But uh, the people um, you're talking about, tend to be a little bit more educated and a bit more open to like reading stuff, isn't it, sadly? So, mm. yeah, there's a lot more interest in you say in pl- places like the Chelsea Inn. I mean, when we have a benefit, we've had one in the Chelsea Inn and the yeah. Plough. Yeah. yeah. So we, that's the sort of places where you know people are interested. Would you like it to be read more in these other areas? Um, I'd like them to uh, put some more facilities in these areas so we've got some outlets to do it. And I'd, yeah. I'd like Bristol City Council to take a bit more notice about these areas. You position yourselves as kind of representatives of the the working class or the the un you know the unrepresented the the, the voiceless. I, I guess. Yet, arguably, what happens when you do get somebody that's maybe come from uh, a working class council estate or somebody who is who is black, or somebody from the Somali community, or whatever that comes from not from the higher mighty from anything but that and then they get themselves into a position of power are they then game to be had a go at because of the position they're in or do you factor in where they come from as well we don't have a go at anybody because of the position they're in we want 
people to be in the position they should be in to, to do their job. We simply highlight problems. Yeah? And it's nothing to I do don't with... Know. Come on, hang on. I mean, fuck off back to Yale is not highlighting a problem, is it? That's well, pretty I think it's highlighting a big problem, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not. I think that you know. I think that's been a bit disingenuous. I think you, you, there's clearly an attempt to mock and to undermine a bit. And I think that that actually, if um, I guess the point is, if somebody is elevated from a holy position into, and it's a legitimate question for any media, are they there fair game to be got on that? Because are, are, my question, I guess, is are they really high and mighty? If somebody comes from, you know, inner city Bristol in a one single parent family in a council house. And then they become into a position. Are are they, are they high and mighty? I don't know. Um, that's that is just a slogan. The high and mighty, right? So we can't build every article around that. It's just everyone's got a punchline, isn't it? Like in every newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's not a question of whether you were born and all that stuff. What do you stand for? What do you stand okay. for? If if you if you think you represent half a million people and you're riding over the the elected councillors, I mean. You are, of course, you're Iron Mighty. You could be born in a dustbin. It makes no difference. It's what you're doing, isn't it? You could have somebody who was brought up in Eton, and they could have, they could have their they could be a politician, and their heart could be in the right place. So it's nothing to do with oh, well, he was born in a council state, so we can't criticise him. I don't enter into it. Do you fear that people will try and derail the Bristolian? Well, they've been trying to do it ever since they come out, so I'm not really interested. I mean, <laughs> okay. it's, it's, yeah. it's something that's yeah. evolving all the time. Well, I mean, we've done a lot of things. I mean, it's let's not- get, let's let's talk about some of those things then, because we're, we're, we're let's talk about some of the real the real investigations that you've unearthed. There's a number of things that you've uncovered. Just give me a few examples. Well, I'll give you one good example. Was we discovered at Meridian we're running a racket housing fifty Romanian bus and lorry drivers in an old Bristol City council office, and this is right. the council knew about this. I mean, how can such a thing happen? Yeah, but yeah. we brought that up, and also the property guardians. When Bristol City Council let out empty, uh, empty council buildings to the property guardians, and people were were abused. That went to court, and um, mm. they had to stop the practice. But they, we had to take it to court and all that with the help of the residents. Yeah. But I mean, that wasn't being reported in the media. A lot of things we bring up, we've been on about this hundred thousand pound shortfall. In the, in the docks for eight years now, and they've concluded last year that that we're right. So they've been trying to brush it on the carpet for seven years. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole list of things, but I, I can't remember them now. But we no. have actually achieved something. Yeah, and that is the methodology behind it. You're not just sort of you're not you wouldn't consider yourself nihilists. I don't even know what that word means. Tell me what it means. Uh, uh, just kind of agents of chaos with no real no, kind of pur- no, purpose to what you do. Far from no. it. Far from it. We're we're trying to stop the chaos that this this city's in. We're trying to get some sort of semblance of order where the people who live here know what they're doing and their money's being widely spent on stuff to help them. So you see it as a moral crusade to to rail against things that you that you feel shouldn't be happening in the it's city. Not, it's definitely not a crusade. What it is. <laughs> okay. we are trying to draw attention to things that are wrong and hopefully get something done about it. Just jump in there if I can and give you the spiel about the Bristol Cable and how you can become a member. Feel free to zip on regular listeners. Jump to the website and you can chuck some money in every month and you can be part of the cable 
which means you can attend regular meetings and AGMs and even get involved in storytelling and deciding what kind of things we decide to cover. And that's online, that's in the newspaper, that's films, that's also this podcast show. So yeah, get involved. Back to the chat. Let's talk about a couple of current affairs issues. The boycotting of Thatcher's Cider, which I think is a countering Colston thing or came up onto Twitter, ended up in the Daily Mail. Kind of got jumped on a bit as a sort of culture wars thing. Basically, the story is that certain pubs, and I think three pubs now, including the Chelsea in, in Eastern, are boycotting Thatcher's Cider because the owner is a merchant venturer. And um, I think it even made its way onto GB News with, with Farage, I think. So what's your feeling on that from the, from the Bristolian's perspective? Uh, well, from my own personal perspective, and I think for the rest of the Bristolians, I think it's just an unnecessary sideshow. Some fool put a tweet on, which was repeated by Counter Colston, and then all like the hysterical reactionary people jump on the bandwagon, and it's, it's it wasn't a sort of a tactic by any moment with any sense. So now we're now talking about Thatcher cider when we should be talking about wider issues. Strategically inept, somebody said to me. Yes, definitely. If you want to try and, you know, bring down the merchants or if somebody want to raise awareness to that, suddenly the conversation is about cider. In Bristol, associating them with cider, I think it's, it's not, it's a bit counterproductive. But the, the, my point is, we can't be bothered to talk about this trivia. I mean, it, yeah. if you look at Nigel Farage, he puts it down to the Colston Four now. So we've yeah. fallen for this trap now. We're talking about Colston. This is what I try to say. We are very concerned about the merchant ventures are not a democratically elected organisation. They're a secret organisation and they've got an awful lot of say of what goes on in this city and it's not for our benefit. It's for their benefit. And the mayoral system has made this worse now because Marvin Rees, although he's meant to be Labour, wants to talk to all these other private people and the merchant venturers will have an influence, a greater influence. So we can talk about Colson all day. I mean, that statue's gone. Isn't, isn't that getting stuff done? Now our hands aren't bound. Business is invited in now to City Hall. You know, it's the one city and we're all working the right direction. You don't buy that, evidently. Well, what have they achieved? What will they achieve? I mean, we don't need consultants on 110 grand a year who are working for private companies coming and going. I mean, mm. Marvin Reese don't know what he's talking about. That's fair enough, but he needs people around him who do. I mean, Asher, how did she ever put herself in that position? It's ridiculous. She don't, she don't know what she's on about. You need somebody who knows what they're talking about. Why don't they have people employed by the council who know what they're talking about to help them instead of riding roughshod over, like, the elected councillors? Because it's, it's a scandal. Do you see the mayoral system as being... I think it's no coincidence that key figures in Business West and the merchants have come out in support of the mayoral model. Do you see that the mayoral system as being more beneficial and easier for business to get, you know, access to, to power, to contracts, to, to funding, et cetera, et cetera. The mayoral system has been proven before in America to be inefficient and against the people. Examples such as like the Flint disaster with the water, where they, mm-hmm. they were like giving children brain damage and all that to make money. Yeah. What I'm saying is it's been proved to be a rubbish system. I mean, I seem to be saying a lot about Marvin Reese, but it makes no difference if they made Neil Mags mayor. It's still, I still wouldn't agree with that. I don't agree with the concept. Why would you put yourself in that position? Well, you're keeping secrets from the council. How can such a thing happen? I mean, we had problems with the council before, and then we got the merchant venture sticking their in. But now, like you said, it's, it's drifted away. 
more and more towards big business and that. I, I think it's interesting that a lot of people, I think, felt, and you know, a lot of people um, that I've spoken to have felt that having a Labour mayor, you know, George was seen as a golden handshake, you know, ex-merchant venture, uh, uh, somebody, a big business person in the city, well-connected, that didn't talk to the little kind of people. Then I think people felt that, oh, Labour have won. You know, Marvin, you know, comes from Eastern, grew up in Lawrence Western. He's going to represent working people a bit more and be less cosy with business. Some people I know and from the same kind of areas as, as I grew up in the same area as Marvin, kind of where actually they, they feel that it's gone even further now in terms of relationship with the merchant ventures and with business. George Ferguson, at least you could speak to him. He wasn't invisible. Marvin Reese, I mean, he looks like somebody who's like, trying to fail in an audition for a job. Like, I mean, he's, he's lost it, but you can't, you can't blame him. I'm not slacking the bloke off. Mm. He's being put in a ridiculous no-win position. You know, he's got a, a union man behind him, hasn't he? He's, you know, a proud union man, ex-team Corbyn. Mr Slocum, is, isn't he sort of, you know, left-wing politics going back years? Um, he's been involved in left-wing politics. However, what he's doing now, he's like a, what is he, mini-me or something. He's always sat on his shoulder, isn't he? I mean, what's going on there? Like, I think they've got okay. an idea, but they don't know how to yeah. do it. Ever since time. The private sector has been able to employ more efficient people because they got more money. And the public sector has always had to do with second-rate people, which I'm perfectly willing to accept. However, in this instance, they have simply rolled over in front of the private sector. And I guess the one city model, which is five different, I think, transport, housing, education, a few others, five different sections of... Some people see that as a parallel council... Others would be cynical about going back to the committee system. The council committee would see this as a way of releasing and quickening influence in Bristol and decision-making. I think it could be, but what I'm saying is it's happened so quick. There's no sort of evolution. I mean, we've got ourselves into this state now where Mm. people don't really know what's going on. But if you're a highly trained up, person working in the multi-million pound uh, corporation, you know what's going on and you can use it to your own ends. So you would vote personally, but collectively probably people in the Bristolian would vote to get rid of the mayoral role in May? Well, I can't really speak for everybody, but I, I don't agree with the mayoral system. I, I never did. I mean, I think it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, it doesn't work in America. Why is it going to work in Bristol? Can you see flaws in the committee system, though? As an, is the alternative any better when, obviously, uh, yeah, you've been, you know, the Bristolians been around, dig, you know, you've been unearthing corruption and inefficiency in the city council under the old system? I mean, that wasn't great either, was it? Well, no, it wasn't great, but at least at least we could sort of have people who were accountable. Well, now we've got people we don't, we don't know. They've never been in Bristol, run in the place. Hmm. Do you see the green surge in Bristol as a rejection of... Labour and it coming from the left of, you know, people disgruntled sort of momentum Corbynistas or even old school kind of union men going to, to Green. Yes, I think there's a lot to be said for that. But it's, it's like the way that um, local elections vary from national elections because they tend to, national elections tend to be a lot more polarised. Whereas mm. local elections, like historically, the Liberals used to do quite well in local elections. But when it yeah. came to national elections, people would get more polarised. But I think the problem with Labour are getting now is that a lot of people who've moved over are frightened to come back because they can't see that they're getting represented properly 
by the Bristol City Council and the mayor. So it's almost a bit of a protest vote, as opposed to it being about no, everyone, it, sun, everyone suddenly becoming interested in green issues overnight. No, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's in a local election. It's not just the party you're voting for. It's the candidates. You need somebody who's, mm. at the end of the day, who's going to represent you and yeah. be interested in what your problems are. And I think you're right. I think sometimes people do vote for, you know, regardless of the party, if they think someone is a grafter, going to get their hands dirty, going to be connected to local issues. And I've noticed that in some, there's been some issues in Bristol. We just interviewed Amuna Abdi last week. You know, she's into the, the special education needs, send education stuff in the city, where what you've got actually is, you know, she's a Tory party member. Someone like Kerry Bales is a Labour Party in Hartcliffe, Christine Townsend is in the Green Party, and all three of them are cross-party campaigning together against the council on their special education. It's, it's almost as if the, when it comes to local issues, it's as much to do with the campaigner and who that is rather than the party they represent. Well, to me, you just reeled off them three names from political stances different. For them to get together on a core issue, which is a major issue, surely yeah. that's what democracy is all about. For like yep. people to help represent the people, because you see, like the mayor just sat there lording it over the the budget and dismissing people's talk as nonsense. I mean, that's rude. Yep. That is proper bad manners. But like you said, people can join together in a common cause. It's not all about colours, is it? We're not like black and white. It's it's politics, isn't it? Are you helping people? So one of the, one of the things that people could say that you know you're overreaching. It's a bit nasty you're trolling there was an image of marvin reese with a meat cleaver in his head i can't remember the the headline the best cut of all is the headline is that going too far um this started when he failed to oppose austerity so he showed no inkling of fighting austerity he merely started thinking about how to facilitate it but this is a man who has you know he's got young children he has received death threats he has received you know not uh, from us outside, outside his house and stuff like that no, and he's never probably received. that's maybe why he's a bit sensitive to it and, and and has gone to special branch perhaps i don't know if that was before then or after it's just like a gotham city isn't it bringing up oh, you need something done about this it's this cliche isn't it so you think people need to take this stuff in good spirit in their stride <laughs> on one hand but also accept that when you're in a position, you will be held to account and to scrutiny. We will scrutinise these people. We will draw attention to their misdemeanours. Well, any way anyone else thinks about what we're saying is for them. But what I'm saying is at least it makes them discuss it and talk about it. And they might become concerned. They might be yeah. able to not agree with us or anything about us. But an issue might come to light that they're going to do something about they might hate us, but they might still do something about it. So it's just really just drawing issues, isn't it? You know, you would accept challenge yourself, you know, openly and, and willingly. Because I think I've noticed this in the media in general, and I've, you know, done bits and bobs with different ones and worked in the United City and stuff there. Often, I don't know if you agree with this, and I know you've you've been critical of, of the city's media. You've called journalist Ellie Pipe, Ellie copy typist Pipe, as we said earlier, the Nazi <laughs> Post, and you've written articles about the, about the cable and, and some of the kind of funding and stuff like that. And I think that I think sometimes people can get defensive in the media about stuff. And I think, well, actually, you know, no one, no one is immune to scrutiny, but I think that journalists are sometimes um, 
so used to shining the light on others, they, they get uncomfortable if it's on themselves. My favourite one that you've called, I don't know if that, they may have to edit this, but I, I don't know, uh, <laughs> but it did make me laugh. It's BBC Radio Bristol's James Hansen, who is James Posh Cunt Hansen. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and that was off the back of a, of a, um, a, a song and a poem he did sort of mocking uh, women in Hartcliffe. And there was a big campaign that people like Carrie Bell's, funny enough, from Hartcliffe and other people pushed the BBC about. And I think it went to complaints procedure. Actually, at that time, you were one of the only outlets talking about that. I think maybe Tristan from the Bristol Post was as well. I think how you said that so succinctly, no one else could get away with that. I but think, it kind of explain it kind of it kind of explains the situation quite well. Yeah, I think uh, the use of that term. I mean, I wouldn't have used it, but the point was. Yeah. What about his broadcast where he's denigrating women and all that? I mean, it didn't have any effect on his career. I mean, what yeah. sort of thing? I mean, the BBC are putting this out. Well, he is actually now the um, the breakfast show host since. Well, uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, hasn't yeah. I mean, he thinks he can just take the Mickey out of people. I mean, he can. I mean, you and you say that, so that's interesting, then, isn't it? Because obviously, you're satirical. He would say he was just doing satire. He's just, and he does it about all different places. If he wants to do satire, I don't think he he should be insulting women at Markcliffe. Punching down, yeah. Oh, you call it punch. I never heard that expression to this. Have you not? Come on, no, come on. No, okay, all right, yeah. But what? All right, targeting, targeting. No, he's just. Yeah, he's just. Let's let's have a joke on people less fortunate than me. Ha 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 ha! Pay your license fee. It's just. It's patronising. We're going to wrap up now, and I think you know. Obviously, it's great that the the paper is back, and I know some people. Some people love you. Some people hate you. Uh, as a as an organisation, I think usually that you're doing something right. Then, say you were to be remembered as the Bristolian, what would you want to be remembered as? You know, what contribution have you made to the city? Well, I mean, we've only just started, haven't we? So, okay, what we've done so far, we've cured a lot of uh, problems. We've drawn attention to things, people who were being abused, and we've followed it up. We don't just anyone can stick an old article in a newspaper. As regards, like getting uh, vulnerable people housed, you know, we've done it for them. You know? So it's not, and it doesn't even have to go in the newspaper. We're doing things all the time to help people. But the work we've done on the ground, hunting down people and investigating and stopping malpractices under stiff opposition—that's what I want the magazine to be remembered by. You know, what I, mean? I think we've done yeah. a lot. And I think that people will do a lot. And I think younger people will carry it on, and hopefully, it goes on for as long as it can, because I don't want it to become one of these things like the Glastonbury Festival, isn't it? When we started off, yeah. it was, the crack was on. But now it's just become, it's nonsense, you know? It's like... Yeah, so, you want it to keep, you want it to stay. That's kind of what's going to be my next question, really. You, you want it to to stay and keep being on the margins, keep being radical, keep regaling against whoever the establishment is in the city and not being watered down. It happens. It happens. And then we don't want to, once you start trying to, we tried to sell it once and nobody wanted to buy it. So we, we give it up. <laughs> you know? There's no one telling us what to do. I mean, the, the very fact, I mean, it started in 2001. It's been going all this time and it was only just on a whim, really. Thank you, uh, Mr. X. Thank you, Neil. For, for talking to me today. Uh, most appreciate it. And just let, for people listening, when can we expect the paper to be out and where can you pick it up from? Obviously, don't list all of them because I know there's loads, but... 
We've proofed the paper, so we're just waiting to get it printed up. So that there's still copies of the last issue. You'll find okay. them all about the place, like that. So what we ask you, if 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 you take one, take if you know that somebody's a bit little bit interested, because a lot of people aren't, take it yeah. home and give it to someone else when you finish reading it. Yeah, because yeah. we we've got very limited like resources. Thank you ever so much. It's been really, really good talking to you, and I look forward to reading the the next edition. Thank you ever so much for, for giving up your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'll try and learn a bit more about politics before I get on there next time. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just read the stuff written down. Don't worry. All right, take it. Thanks so much. Thank you very Cheers. much, Andrew. Okay, bye-bye. Many thanks to the Bristolian for joining us this week on Bristol Unpacked. Um, We will be back next week with a brand new topic and a new guest. In the meantime, please do check out all our episodes on the Bristol Cable website and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Acast. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. And if you do want to become a member of The Cable and join Bristolian members all across the city, chipping in every month, then please go to the website to find out more.